Okay, good morning. We will get started. We are in our uh, fifth week going through the book of Ephesians. I haven't heard the final final, but I think we're going to end up doing seven weeks. I'm not here next week, and Tim is teaching on something. I don't know if he's going to take us into the next part of Ephesians 5, if he's going to jump right to Ephesians 6, or do some kind of one-off thing. So I'm not exactly sure. If he continues in Ephesians, then we'll definitely finish Ephesians before Christmas. Um, or at least we have the, the, the ability to. Uh, so for those who have been here, um, you've already heard some of this, but back in chapter 1, so we have Paul writing to the a church in Ephesians, a church he administered to for three years. He's writing to them now from prison in Rome about four or five years later. And he is unfolding to them this incredible, in chapter 1, this incredible plan of God that he's going to unite all things. Things look bleak. They're living in this pagan culture. Uh, but there's this, this amazing truth that God is working behind the scenes in the world and in their lives. And he, and he paints with these beautiful strokes uh, of, of what your salvation looks like. You're, you're not just saved in some bland, binary fashion, but, but you're adopted and you're loved and you're chosen. And you, there's this inheritance that is kept for you in heaven. And, and just this beautiful diversity in the language used in our salvation. And then he turns into Ephesians 2, which is, to me was a bit of an abrupt transition as you read it from the end of chapter 1 to chapter 2. And he talks about you being dead in your sins and walking after the course of the power of the air and, and living out your passions. And, and I'm not exactly sure why he, he makes that transition. There's three things I can think of. Number one, that his, this wide-sweeping plan for humanity to unite all things in himself starts with individual souls. It's going to start with these individual acts of, of a new creation and bringing dead people to life. And maybe it's just because the, the black backdrop of this sin and this darkness makes that beautiful picture so much clearer, so much more beautiful. And then I also think it's because what he's saying in chapter 1 is so unbelievable, truly is. It's nothing they can see with their eyes. They're going to need eyes of faith that they can trust the God who has now done that in their own life. To, he, they can now trust him to continue to do that in other people's lives and in the world and, and raise all this creation to the new creation. And so he's proven himself. And so the promises that we don't yet see, it's not a blind faith in the sense that it's the best I got. Um, I mean, that would be good enough, right? <laughs> if you're just driven to despair and that, well, I have no other hope, I have God. But he's proven himself over and over. He's raised them from life. He continues to work in their life daily. And so now when we don't feel like he could do those things in the future or he's not doing them, we have reason to trust. And we got into chapter 2 in the third week there about this whole, at one time, at one time you Gentiles in the flesh were alienated, you were separated, you had no hope, you were without God. But now, now you're, you're fellow citizens with the saints. Now you're forgiven, now you're clean, now you're put into this body. So this at one time but now language I say could be applied in at least three different ways. So we concentrated that week on the historical. So these physical Gentiles are now understanding that the promises given to Abraham and to the Jews were actually also for them, but for those who have by faith in Christ, in the Jewish Messiah. 
And so God is doing something that he called a mystery. This was a secret, kept hidden for long ages. And now it's being revealed. It's, it's, it's being, on, being put on display. The other way we want to look at that is in a corporate nature. We looked at the, the images of you're being put in a body and in a church and being built up to be a temple. And Dan opened that up for us more last week where God has never intended and he does not now intend for us to just have this individual spiritual relationship with God that we've, we've had this, we've had this conversion. We've woken from our deadness to sin and now we, we have this ability to relate to him one on one which is good. That was kind of clouded maybe through Roman Catholicism and such and, and other religions. But we do have this access by faith in his grace, which we now stand. We have the spirit within us and we don't need a mediator outside of Christ. Christ is our one mediator and we go to him. And yet God has designed that we are put in a body, in a communion. And we are never just individuals out there. And today we're going to go to that third application where it's, it is that individual that, that, God doesn't just expect us to be in a body and, and let that body identity carry us, but he actually expects us in our individual lives to live in a certain way. And then the next section that we won't cover today is, is really taking those individual, that individual holiness into our different roles in society, in a marriage, in a family, uh, in a master-slave relationship that Josh already covered for us a few weeks ago. So that's where we're headed. Who can pray for me? Paul, do you mind praying for us? Amen. So go ahead and open to Ephesians 4. You can see on your sheet there that basically broke this into six sections or seven sections. Or really three, and then the, there's kind of four addendums to the last one. So right now I'd like us to read, starting in uh, verse 16, let me just show this transition. He says, From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so we've spent a couple of weeks now talking about the body. But now we're going to talk about the parts, about the joints. So that as each individual part is doing, is working properly, the whole body functions normally. Can someone read verses 17 to 24? All right, I was not here last week, but uh, the most, the biggest blessing I had from listening to Dan's teaching was this analogy of the train. So I didn't see what you drew, brother. I'm sure it was better than this. But uh, it act, it's got to be better than the pine cone you called the olive tree in Romans 11. Um, 
It actually, uh, and I was thinking that analogy was so helpful. I was thinking of it, how you could apply that in so many different ways. But as we come to a passage and some chapters that are going to focus on commands, uh, imperatives of, of calling you to live in a certain way, we've got to remember, and Dan touched on this last week, we've already had three chapters, three and a half chapters, that were much more about the what we call the indicatives, the things that are true, the realities. Chapter 1, I don't even know if there's any commands in chapter 1. It's all about what you have, what God is doing, what, what God intends to do. And we're just like participants. Uh, and that's where this, this idea of an engine, that's an engine, uh, that, that this is where the power is. This is where the engine is. Anything that happens to the cars that are behind it are because of this engine. And it's on the track, right? And so this engine is going to have the power, the motivation, the ability to move. And these carts are just along for the ride. And they're going to go in the same, the same path as, as this train track. That's what I got from it. Um, you know, and I, when you're young, you probably heard the little engine that could. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. Well, I, I think the point of that story is that you're that engine, right? And, that, and that's what we want to make sure as we read chapters 4 to 6. We're not the engine. We're over here, right? Here's Christ doing these things. God, it's, it's, it's amazingly Trinitarian language in Ephesians. God working through Christ can unite all things in him by the power of the Spirit. And, and we're just latching on. And, and the, this is where I, I, I could think of different ways. This is latching on by faith, just that receptacle of faith and carry on. I think in many ways the way that we put on and our, our new self and put off the old self is is not in a way of, of us being that engine, but it was of grabbing hold of that power that's available to us. And instead of literally get, becoming derailed and, and, and going our different way and having this tension and grieving the Holy Spirit, as we'll talk about, it's, it's just all being in line and all being in unity and submitting ourselves to the power and the direction of Christ. And so that's the way to read these. As you read these, uh, these original Words here, if you kind of look at verses, we're going to call you out of verses um, 17 to 19 first. If you kind of work backwards from 19, you get this. I'm going to have to erase the beautiful picture. You've got this callousness. Kind of starts with a callousness, a callous heart. And then that's going to lead to ignorance. A darkened heart, a futile mind, that kind of language. I, I see that all as ignorance. And somewhere below all this is this status of being alienated. You're alienated from the life of God that is in them. And this is what then produces evil deeds, I'll just call it. So he says, don't walk as the Gentiles do. This is your walk. This is what you do. Don't walk this way. And they're walking this way because of their, their futile mind, their ignorance. There's something wrong inside of them, how they view the world, what's going on in their heart. And we see furthermore that that is because they've become callous. Somehow they've become callous. They've become hardened. And so, and we say this all the time, but we just need to keep saying it is, anything we see on the outside, anything that we see coming out in our members, it always starts as a heart issue. It's always a hard issue. And so as you, as you, again, later read about putting off and putting on, you're not just putting window dressing here. It's not just putting on new clothes, right? 
you need to address these issues of the heart. So when he talks about not stealing anymore, there, you know, there's, there's a hard issue of laziness and covetousness. When he talks about um, not being bitter, that kind of sounds like a hard issue anyway, but the, un, the inability to forgive. It's not just saying words to somebody, right? The, you have a heart of bitterness. You have anger kept up on you. And so that's how we want to attack these things and put off and put on. It's always going to be done at this level. Uh, some passages that come to mind that use this language like uh, we're going through Hebrews in our sermon series. Hebrews 5 talks about how I would like to teach you more about these things, but you become dull of hearing. You're dull. You're not able to receive teaching. The very teaching that would reverse your ignorance, right, and help you to live a better way, to understand the truths of God better, I'm not even capable of giving to you because you're so dull. And he says that your, your powers of discernment are no longer able to distinguish good and evil. So again, you end up doing evil deeds because you don't have any discernment. You're told, and it's like this vicious cycle. How do you get out of this? If you become callous, I, I, I won't listen to teaching. There's no way to reverse this. And that, that is the state of natural man. That's what Paul means in chapter 2 when you're dead. De- being dead is you're, you're, you're not only alienated from God, but you're, you're unable to do anything. There you are. You're dead. And yet you walk and you follow the passions of your body and of your flesh following the spirit of this world. So you're active, but you're active in a way that is dead and unable to even receive the influences of God. And that is a desperate, desperate place to be. So what hope is there for that? We've been, and, we, and we speak the gospel. Romans 2 talks about this, where God's kindness, his patience and forbearance is meant to lead you to repentance. Right? Our judgment, we deserve to die right now, this instant. We probably all sinned this morning. Right? We, we have deserved to die a million times over. And yet we're here. And, and unbelievers are here in our midst. Why? God is, he's long suffering. He wants them to come to repentance. And yet, for those in Romans 2, because of their hard and impenitent hearts, all they're doing is storing up wrath. The longer they live, the more they sin, the more wrath they will incur. It would be better for them to die today than to die in 20 years if they don't come to faith in Christ. And, and so as the gospel goes out, it has these two effects. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3, the aroma of Christ. It's a fragrance, right? That perfume. Someone will love it and someone will hate it. It's, it's that same message that goes out. And it depends, where's the heart? You have the sower and the seeds. It depends on how the heart is. So what are you supposed to do? You can't do anything, friends. You can't do a thing to change the state, to break out of the cycle. You need something from above, something from a third dimension, as it were, to break into your life. And that's what Ephesians 2 is about. It needs to be a God of grace. Nothing you've earned, nothing you're even seeking for. He says he showed himself to a nation that wasn't even asking for him. What a slap in the face to the, to the Jews. He, God chose to be gracious. He chose Abraham. We're working through Hebrews 11. He raised up Moses. In Romans 9, we saw that he raised up Pharaoh to destroy him and to declare his power. I mean, it's amazing. God is outside of all this, and he's the only one that can change it. And so we have these, we have these exhortations in scripture, like Hebrews 3 and 4, talking about how while it is still today, if you have any inkling, if you have any sensitivity, if you have any ears to hear whatsoever, God drawing you, 
and trying to break you out of your power, your cycle of sin. Listen to that today while it's still called today. Tomorrow you may not hear that voice. Tomorrow your heart may be so hardened. God has given you up in Romans 1 to a debased mind to do all sorts filled with unrighteousness and evil and covetousness and malice. He just, he opens the floodgates. That, that's a form of judgment. God giving you over to your own desires and just letting you go. The world calls that freedom. They're fools. It's not freedom. So at, at any moment in your, in your cycle of sin, and that could be any of these things. I'll just, I'll just pull on pornography a little bit. That's one of those things that tickles a little bit. It's a victimless crime. It's, you know, your mind is messed. It's not pornography, that's Netflix. That's okay, right? It's not a porn website. And, and, you, and this, this reasoning, and, and you dabble, and then you're sorry, and you run back to God, and you run back, and it, and it says here in verse 19, they've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And the more you go, the more you go, the more you go, the more hardened you get. Friends, in chapter 6, we're going to get to spiritual warfare. You have got to take up arms and take up the armor of God. You've got to fight that sin right now. You've got to break out of it because you're not in some neutral spot. It's going to go more and more. And I'm sure those that have fallen into drugs, as you shared, that, that's probably a great analogy of right the gateway drug. And You get to a point where there's, you literally have no ability to fight this addiction. And had you just dealt with it before you slipped so far. So friends, this is serious stuff. It's not those Gentiles out there. We've got to be aware of the need for the daily influence of the Spirit in our lives. All right, let's go on to verses 20 to 22 there. So that was the call to be different. And now we have this responsibility and again, in the context of the train analogy, you've learned Christ in a way that you want to put off and put on. You are actively doing something about your conduct, about your heart attitudes. You're not just sitting there, and you don't want to do it in a legalistic fashion, but you are taking action. Ephesians 2.10, right? He has called you by grace through faith for good works. He's prepared. He's laid that train tracks of good works for you to walk in. Just follow, follow the leader. And walk in it by the power of that engine. That word corrupt there in verse 22, it, it means rotten and it corrodes everything around it. So your sin is never self-contained. It's never just about you. It, you. Your holiness isn't about you. We're in a body of Christ for a reason. But your sin also affects every relationship you're involved in, in and out of the church. Chapter 5, verse 15, we'll read in a second. It says, look carefully then how you walk. Take care. This isn't just go with the flow. You're going to see in a lot of these, these reversals of these sin patterns, instead of just being a thief who steals, you're now going to work so that you might have to give to those in need. It's not just stop stealing. You're now going to, your, your mind is going to be so transformed in a way that you're now going to, you're going to plan. You're going to strategize how you can bless others. It's one or the other. There's, there's no middle ground. You're either inward focused and inward serving. Or by the power of God, you're outward focused and outward serving. Uh, verse 24 there. We're created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So we're not just brought from death to life and as in Ephesians 2. But we're, we're actually created in the image of God. 
Um, chapter 1 talks about predestination a couple times. In Romans 8, 29, it says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, not just to be saved, to what? To be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. We're not just predestined to some status in heaven and, and salvation. We're, we're actually predestined for these good works. It, it, it's all of it. There's a plan. There's a purpose in it all. Chapter 5 says words like this, Be imitators of God. Walk in love as Christ. How do I walk in love? Look at Christ. He's, he's our pattern. He's our model. God left him here as an example for us, particularly as you respond to suffering. Walk as children-like. In other words, and I think Dan said this last week, God, Paul is saying we're being called to be who we already are. Right? You have already been brought out from this status of being separated and alienated, strangers to the covenant of promise. And now you're fellow citizens with the saints, members of the same household. That is your status by faith in Christ. And now he's just saying, act like it, right? Put on the clothes that make sense. And we're going to look at these categories in chapter 5. Of, of, there's, a, there's a properness, there's a propriety of being a Christian. There's a way you ought to walk and talk and live that's proper to being a Christian. And it's not, prop, it's not proper to live like the Gentiles. It doesn't make any sense based on who your father is based on the spirit that is within you. All right, uh, we'll go on to 25 to 32. Can someone read that for me? So we're gonna, we're gonna, I don't think Paul ever intends for these lists to be comprehensive and list everything, but he does tend to hit a lot of the same things in his different letters and, and other writers. Talks about use of the tongue, wrath, anger, bitterness, and clamor, stealing and covetousness, sexual morality. In chapter five, we'll see drunkenness, which is really a lack of control. So before I hit those in detail, you'll see the verses in chapter five are really gonna carry this theme on, but they'll do it in a way that I saw kind of broke out really nicely in those four categories I told you, that A, B, C, and D there. Um, and so these are kind of big categories of how, what it means to walk as the Gentiles do versus walk as a child of God um, that I think you could carry on to so many other things. This propriety, this light versus darkness, this wisdom versus folly, and this outward versus inward focus. So can someone read those 21 verses of chapter 5 and, and listen for these categories as well? of these areas of emphasis of, of how we how we walk like the Gentiles do. Therefore be imitators of God as as beloved children and walk in love as 
sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not Long passage, I know. So we go back to some of these areas of emphasis that I saw. The tongue. He wants us to speak truth, not lies. No corrupt talk. Talk that, uh, okay, it might be true, but it's not helpful. It's not edifying. It corrupts, or, or it, it draws attention to yourself. It's, it's, meant, it's maybe gossip. It, it's, it's meant to hurt people or prop yourself up. Clamor and slander. These are all things done with our tongues. Chapter 5, verse 4, crude joking. That's something I have to fight a lot. That, that's a culture of my work. Crude joking. It, 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 when people look at me, what they think, he's just like one of those Gentiles. They would use different terms here. He's one of the guys. That, that gets me a long way if I'm one of the guys, right? So you, I've got to walk in a different way. Also, the, these heart issues, wrath, anger, bitterness, clamor, Clamor is kind of like the, you know, it's bitterness on display. It's You're going to talk about it now. You're not just going to sit there and rue about it. Um, and that's probably the opposite of verse 31, for, chapter 4, verse 31. Kindness and tenderhearted and forgiving. Or you still, again, that's, that could be laziness, but also just covetousness. In chapter 5, verse 3, which is a form of idolatry. Sexual morality, so common in those lists of sins, and, 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 and even in the description of what it means to be an, an you know, run after idol is to abhor, to, to whore after those idols and, um, and to be unfaithful to God. And as, as he's talking about the unfruitful works of darkness, that's probably in reference to sexual morality there. Chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, not sure. The things done in secret and in dark. And then in drunkenness, chapter 5, verse 18, this lack of control. So these are kind of, these, these ways, they, I wouldn't say it's comprehensive, 
But this is what he means when he says, don't walk like the Gentiles. There is a way that the world lives and, and has attitudes and talks and walks. And, and I, I know we, we don't want to be legalistic and set up a bunch of rules. And, and in some ways, this is going to be very um, situational in the sense of what is seen as crude, right? What a word, you know, we go back to Britain a lot. And there are words we would use in America um, that we just laugh at because we see it on British TV. But there, it's very offensive. You wouldn't say such things. And so there's a, there's a contextual, you know, what would be considered crude? Know your audience. Know who you're with. Don't offend. Romans 14 talked about that. Don't offend. Um, one thing I really like here is these radical reversals I, I mentioned. And so chapter 4, verse 28, it's not just that um, you're to stop stealing. You're now to become generous. Don't just stop taking. Now be the person that gives to those in need. Right? It's this radical heart change. The tongue. You don't just stop being coarse, verse 29. But now you think, how am I going to use my tongue to bless others? What a change in direction. Um, you don't use your tongue for filthiness. But now you need to use it for thanksgiving. Uh, James 4, I think it is, talks about how, no, James 3, talks about how the, with the tongue, you know, the tongue is a, it's an awful part of the body. <laughs> um, from the same opening should not come cursing and blessing. We can't from the same mouth, from the same heart, sit here on a Sunday and bless our God and Father and then go turn and gossip and slander and speak in such a way. That doesn't make any sense, James says. Makes no sense whatsoever. And that's basically what Paul is saying. Chapter 5, verse 18, it's, you don't want to be controlled by wine, but be controlled by the Spirit. It's a, it's a matter of control of what you give yourself up to, of what you submit yourself to. And so those who have true faith and have the Spirit in them look very different. It, it, it literally doesn't make any sense to look the way the world looks. When we, if, if one person has the Spirit in them and one does not, it doesn't make any sense that their lives would look so similar. It doesn't. And that's a, sh that's a shame to us. It's something to be repented of. All right, so just quickly, I don't have to spend much time here on those categories in chapter 5. First seven verses of chapter 5. He says, the, such, such, such behaviors shouldn't even be named among you. It's not proper among saints. It's out of place. And such people have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And then 8 through 14. This sounds a lot like 1 John for those who are for 1 John study. John talks about a lot about light and dark, truth and error, righteousness and unrighteousness. And it's just all the same thing. We're children of light. We, we, we don't have shame in what we do. We're happy for the, for the magnifying glass to come on our lives because there's nothing to be ashamed of. That's the goal, right? We all fall short of it. And we, we repent. And then 15 to 17 is wisdom versus folly. Very common category. And then I kind of maybe made up some words there for 18 to 21, but I just kind of saw a, an idea of, of needing to look outward, like I said, versus inward. Oh, is it all about us? All about what we can do? All about how we can gratify the sinful nature? Are we here to minister and to serve? Okay, now I want to protect some time for back to chapter 4, verse 30. 
Um, huge topic, could be its own Sunday school easily, but let me just hit it because th this is the kind of thing that people I know will ask about, and it's an important one. And as I started thinking about this, got a page and a half on this one verse. What does it mean to grieve the Spirit? First, let me just review some of the things that Paul says about the Holy Spirit in the rest of the letter. Um, in chapter 1, he calls him the Spirit of wisdom and of revelation, and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, so that you may know. In chapter 3, he talks about revealing. These things have been revealed to the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And so, this, one of the Spirit's great works is the work of revelation, of making things known, of enlightening. That, and that's this, you can't do anything here. The eyes of your heart that you can't reach, and you have no power to control, need to be opened. When Lydia was saved in the book of Acts, God opened her heart, and she believed. God did a work. That's why she believed. God did a work in her heart. Something she couldn't do. The other thing that the Spirit does is works for unity. And, and again, this is the Trinitarian language, chapter 2. Through Jesus, we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. And in Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's the Spirit's work. The Spirit doesn't just empower you individually. The Spirit is what is creating Spring Meadows into a unified body. To a body that reflects something of the peace of God. Chapter 4, last week. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Just like our individual lives that we're focusing on today, when someone comes and looks at Spring Meadows, and we're a body of slanderers and clamorers, that's the word. You know, we're backbiting, we gossip. They do not see Christ in that. That does not represent Christ well. And we ought to be very concerned for that. The other thing I see from the Spirit is, is this work of power. According to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. That's how you have the ability to put off and put on, is by the Spirit. We already looked at chapter 5 or 18 about being filled with the Spirit. In chapter 6, in that the spiritual warfare, we're, part of that armor is to take up the sword of the Spirit. And with that sword, you pray at all times. That activity of the Spirit. Contrast that with what Paul said in, earlier in chapter 2, in which we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the Spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's a different Spirit. That's not the Holy Spirit. And so the Spirit reveals to us, He creates unity, and He empowers us. Uh, there, I, I put a lot of verses there for you to look at. As you go back and look at what it means to, maybe some similar words, to what it means to grieve the Spirit, basically you're going to go back, you're going to find a lot about how the Israelites were, were in the desert, and how they, they grieved Him, they tested Him, they provoked Him, they resisted Him. And then just in context of what chapter 4 and 5 are in Ephesians, what does it mean to grieve the Spirit? It's to live a life of rebellion. It's to, it's to withstand that influence that he's attempting to have. He's, he's revealing things to you. He's opening the eyes of your heart to create unity and empowering you, and you're resisting that, and you're resisting it, and you're resisting it. And that grieves the Spirit. Now there's... There's a lot of good theology, a lot of heresy that can come from that verse, right? And that whole understanding of, and, and Mark talked about this in his series on the attributes of God, that we need to be careful. Some of this language, God is, God is speaking to us maybe in language that we can understand, but we don't want to take it too far. 
The, the, anytime you talk about the emotions of God or how you would have an effect on an unchangeable God, that's, <laughs> that's, those, those are holy waters. <laughs> I'm not sure how best to slice and dice those. Um, but he's provoked. He's grieved. He, somehow there's a saddening in some way. I don't understand what that means. Um, and so it's not, and maybe this is a motivation for you as you are, as you are wrestling with temptation. Not just, I don't want to slip into callousness. Not just, it's the law of God. I know it's wrong. And that's a good motivation. Um, not just that, but my sin, my, my decision to carry this out is going to grieve the spirit within me. That might be a motivation. First Thessalonians 5, he talks about quenching the spirit. And I think that goes one step further. Not only are you grieving the spirit, but you're quenching. You're having an effect on what the spirit does. You're having, you, you are affecting the spirit's, um, effectiveness <laughs> in your life. And you can think of what is, what is the spirit supposed to do? He's supposed to convict us of sin. And if, if we don't have conviction of sin, we're just going to be stuck in the cycle. We're going to get more and more callous. Psalm 51, cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. This has great ramifications on your joy. Um, David doesn't pray for him to restore salvation. It's restore to the joy of that salvation. And we go through those times in our life, don't we? We feel cold. We feel distant. We don't feel what chapter 2 was telling us, that we're now full members of the body. We feel like we're still those on the outside looking in. And perhaps it's because we're resisting the Spirit. Perhaps it's because we are rebelling and grieving Him. In 1 John 4, by this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. The, The function of the Spirit is to give us assurance of our faith. So if you wrestle with doubts, to, to live contrary to the commands of God will affect your assurance. And it, that's what we've been saying, right? It doesn't make sense that you look like that. And now you're going to go down the path of, well, I haven't been able to beat this sin, or this thorn in the flesh is still there, and you, you start reasoning, I must be lost. I must be one of them, one of the Gentiles. So it has great effect on us. And so it's to be taken seriously. And, that, and that's why chapter 6 is going to talk about taking up these arms, putting them on the armor of God, running to God. Psalm 73, and, and there's lots of great examples of this. It, it, it always strikes me when I read it. It talks about the wrath of God. God will definitely destroy those who, run, who are unfaithful to him. Yet it is good for me to draw near to God. I'm, I'm to have a, have a, a holy and proper fear of God. Kiss the son lest he be angry. Psalm 2. Yes, our God is a God of wrath and a God of holiness, and he expects. And so our, our, our proper response, like Adam and Eve, is, is it's not to run and put on fig leaves and try to hide from our omniscient God. It's to run to him. It's the only safety to be found is in the arms of your judge. Because by faith and through the Spirit, he's also your father. And he'll receive you. And he'll wash you. And he'll, he'll break you from this, from this cycle. So don't run away, run to him. And certainly all these words I should have said up front. The spirit is God. He's the spirit of God. He's clearly a person. You can't grieve a force. You don't rebel against some force like the Jehovah's Witnesses teach. He's a, he's a person. 
and he can be grieved. And he works in us. And that's all I have. <laughs> I didn't think of a fancy ending. We have a few minutes for comments, questions, anything that wasn't clear is the most important thing I want to clear up. I would say I, I rely on the Spirit to do it, but it's my responsibility. I guess is how I... So the question is, is how much of sanctification, of growing in holiness, growing in godliness, um, putting off and putting on, how much of that is a Spirit's responsibility? How much of that is our individual responsibility? And I'm phoning a friend for help. How would you guys answer that? Right, right. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, my initial reaction is I don't like the all or nothing. And I've talked a lot about what we do because that's what Paul talks about. And so in, in some ways you just, you read all of scripture and you let it take its balance as it goes. Now I think there will always be some kind of a logical tension right there. And, and a, few, a few verses later, we quoted this a couple weeks ago. He says, therefore, my beloved, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So there's that on you. Work out your salvation. For it is God who works in you. To will, wait, I'm going to get this out. Work out your salvation. For it's God who works in you to do it. And so I don't think it's an either or. I think our working, I, every analogy breaks down like Dan said. Our working, it's, I don't know, we're like the glove on a hand. We're working, we're involved, and we're responsible. 
And yet the real power behind it all is God's hand. And ultimately he gets the credit. And if you're responsible, he'll judge you for not working. I'm going to leave it at, at both. I, I, it's a great question. And, and clearly, it's, it's hard to answer. Well, again, you've got to understand these commands in light of the whole book. You're not just, you're not just changing your deeds. You're going to the source that can change your heart. So you're falling on your knees. You're praying in the Spirit, chapter six. You're going back to the Spirit Himself and asking for a change. And so your activity is very much calling for His power. As said, I don't have a problem with that statement, but I know it could be misconstrued. Work out your own salvation. I don't know how you can say there's not work involved in sanctification. I'm just saying that's not my power, my motivation, my initiation. <laughs> I'm getting loud because I'm getting, uh, it's hard. Sorry. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what I meant by that glove. Yeah, yeah. It looks really nice. That's kind of, that's my take. I don't know. Maybe this, again, a sports team is like, my sports team won the MLS finals last night. Yay. I had so much to do with it. But I was somehow participating and having joy. And I don't know. I don't know. Every analogy breaks down. Yeah, let's get a few more. And, and maybe that, again, that train, that the receptacle of the car is grabbing hold of the train. And then, so yeah, it's you. It's you believing, right? And then chapter 2 will tell you that that believing was a gift in itself. And so it's like you run. I had one guy say, and take this the wrong way, I'm sure, but he told us this old guy in England when we were first there, he said, uh, believe like a Calvinist and act like an Arminian. <laughs> Which is not good. I think I saw his point was, don't, don't let the sovereignty of God make you passive and make you, well, it must be God's fault. You know, that's the wrong attitude. But true Cal, I would say it's true Calvinism. True, true understanding of God's sovereignty motivates you to work and to run. And yet at every moment you're turning back saying, this is all of God. This is all of God. I'm running and yet it's all of God. I, and I can't logically put that together, which I base is what we're, we're all struggling with here. Except for Paul.
what God wants us and, and talk about what we can't do. You know, there are things that are very difficult for us in our nature to accomplish. But as we're striving to do those things, there's a word for that. The word is sin. God doesn't want us to strive to do it ourselves. He wants to do him. Absolutely. Doing it through us, using our bodies as his instrument for righteousness. Right. We're branches on a vine, right? That life, the power is running through the vine, and we're the branches. And yet, you see the effects of the branches. We have got to go. Aaron, would you mind closing us in prayer? Uh, Father God, we think it's time that we've got to go. Uh, Lord, uh, uh, we're just thankful for the passion to us. Amen.